everybody. Hey. Hello. Awesome. This is Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law, and I'm joined by Catherine Rubino and Chris Williams, and we're here to talk about the legal week that was, you know, in legal news. Yes, that is what we're doing. Great. You're such a giving improv partner. I, I'm, I'm helping. Mm. That, that's what I'm here for. Now you know what that sound means. Small talk. We're going to have some small talk here. I feel like everyone had a busy week. Uh, oh, yeah. That have fun small talk implications. So, Chris, do you want to start off with your highlights? Oh, yes. I had a bunch of friends over and we painted my house. It's always cool to see how different a coat of paint makes a house feel. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You sure that's like the thing that the your small talk is? Well, that's the non-work related thing about my life. Okay. okay. All right. <laughs> work related, which is at least medium talk in my book. Uh, okay, okay. I interviewed a um, a judge for the court of federal court of appeals, um, in Pauline Newman, and she's she's ninety six and walks faster than I do. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it blew my mind. Like I, I have I have was of the mind to tell her to hold up as she was showing me around to judge judges, you know. But yeah, I've written oh, several articles chronicling the. Uh, what I feel like would be an age discrimination case if this was happening, you know, outside of the, in the you know, in the real in a, world, in a normal yeah. situation. Yeah. But, you know, Constitution, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it was really cool. No, awesome. No, that's great. Yeah, no, the, what's going on with her is really kind of awful. Like, uh, it's not the rest of the federal circuit has just decided that they don't want her to be a judge anymore. And despite the yeah. fact that that's not how the Constitution works, they seem to be just getting away with it. So really, yeah. really problematic stuff. It's great that you've been covering it, and it's great that you got a chance to chat. Odd thing is, talking to her, it just got worse, right? Oh. Because one of the accusations was that she fainted on the job. Okay. But then whatever, her assistant was like, listen, this is a federal court. Like, you know how much paperwork would have to happen if a judge actually fainted? And I was yeah. like, hmm, that's a good point. <laughs> and then there was a point where But also like point, fainting hmm? is not is not a, that terrible of a something to happen to you. Like my sister faints frequently. I mean, maybe that's not a great thing either, but yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be like, oh, you can't do your job anymore. Yeah. True, true. But just but there's also like the like this is a high security environment angle of it where like true. protocols that would have followed if these were actual events that were mm -hmm. happening to her didn't fall in play, right? Or another thing was like, she was accused of having a heart attack and having stents in her heart. A doctor's exam showed that wasn't the case. And I'm like, wow. these accusations, like were they were they made under oath? Like were these signed <laughs> off? Cause like, if these are demonstrably false, shouldn't the person making these accusations get in some sort of trouble, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so like, I was just thinking about, I was just thinking about the, like the, the coworker angle, but I didn't even think about like the legal consequences of potentially lying on under oath angle, yeah. which is, you know, a big one. Yeah. No, that's great stuff. So I was at Relativity Fest learning yes, about e-discovery stuff. Do you, at this point, do you really feel like you're learning about e-discovery stuff? Because I feel like... Good question. I feel like you're maybe getting updates. You're not learning. I mean, it is obviously update-centric. That, that is very fair. But, you know, I, I, did, I did feel I learned some stuff. Uh, I didn't really think through, you know, just kind of philosophically, I think about legal technology always as something that meets lawyers where they are and tries to make their 
jobs easier. Were well, you reading one Heidegger? Thing, well, <laughs> no. But but one thing I thought was, as I was listening to their new updates, is that they've moved into a new space, which is kind of which at least with some of their products are not meeting lawyers and making what lawyers currently do better. They are affirmatively creating products that allow lawyers to do stuff they never would have done before. They have Mm. products that are working on data breach stuff that basically can turn a run-of-the-mill litigator into a data breach specialist. You know, that's a Mm. whole new book of business, and it's something that can only happen because of the way they're kind of orienting their product development. So I, I thought it was really interesting on that front. I was on a couple of panels, some CLE panels, if anybody wants to catch some very, very good 90s humor I was on one where we talked about cameras in the courtroom and there's some some choice John Wayne and Lorena Bobbitt commentary on that one. Well, well then, if yeah. you, you are selling it. Yeah. <laughs> so if you need CLE ethics credit and are interested in hearing a well-delivered joke or two, uh, that might be your answer. Mm. Who, who so. delivered the joke? <clears throat> Obviously. <laughs> Come on. So anyway, uh, so that was mine. Uh, you have anything going on, Catherine, or no? I mean... Cool story. <laughs> fair. That's fair. My uh, baby is teething, so that uh, took out oh, most wow. of most of my, my life is trying to get a small human to not scream. That's fair. She doesn't cry. She screams. It's like piercing. It hurts my heart because she's obviously in pain. Yeah. And there's only so much Tylenol I'm allowed to give her. Right. (laughs) Well, all right. What are we talking about today? Oh, you're you're not uh, on top of it this week, huh? Well, I mean, I can be. It's just you sent out the scheduling memo, which was well, because you seemed you seemed tired. You you did not you did not log in to work as quickly as you normally do. Well, right yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty white Monday, from all this relativity travel. fest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, this week is the trial, the civil fraud trial in New York for Donald Trump, his children, and the Trump Organization. Okay. So it is both a looking back story, as in everything that happened last week in the case, and also what's about to happen, which I think is uh, kind of a, a fun place for the story to be. But again, it's a civil trial. And one of the more fun things is that partial summary judgment reared its ugly head or, you know, great head, depending on your perspective. But the judge in the case uh, decided that that Trump did commit fraud. Mm. So they overstated the value of certain assets. I mean, in, in in wildly egregious ways too, right? Like changing the amount of square footage of his apartment. It's like, it's not bigger on the inside. It's not the TARDIS, right? Like it, there's only so big it is. We know how big it is. There are floor plans that exist, right? And I think that our columnist, Liz Dyer, who wrote about it, said that uh, all of his financial statements as he was tr- attempting to get loans throughout the years were mostly vibes. Wow. <laughs> vibes and, and a kind of a combination of that and what they thought the bankers wanted to hear. That's kind of what was on those those Forbes. So, you know, that's not really how you're meant to do business. So that was a bit of a problem. Well, the one that got me from that opinion was there's a footnote where 
in response to all of this, Trump seems to assert that Mar-a-Lago is worth way more than anyone thinks it is. Mm-hmm. And his justification for that was that he could definitely convince some Saudi folks to buy it, yes. which the judge puts in a footnote, kind of like a, bizarrely, he seems to be admitting to bribery here. Yeah, influence peddling <laughs> yeah. and not so much savvy investing, uh, I think is, is similar mm-hmm. to how the judge puts it. Yeah, and it's it's wild because he complains and on social media, the Trump boys are complaining that, oh, this judge is so dumb. He says that Mar-a-Lago is worth only $18 million. And it's like, well, it's because that's what you fought the tax assessors who t- attempted to levy taxes on Mar-a-Lago. And it was, I think, between 18 and $27 million is what the tax assessment eventually settled on. And that is, those are very different numbers than the, I think, $500 million that he put on loan documents. Right. Mm. And and that's the thing. And he fought it. They they assessed his tax liability for hire, and he fought it, and they came to the 18 to 27 million as a tax liability. Right. And and that's the issue. Like, it's a multiple books thing. When it Mm -hmm. comes to taxes, everything's worth nothing. When it comes to securing... Loans or in insurance, all it's all worth tons. Uh, yeah. yeah, and 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 I think that because the sort of facts do not help the the Trumps, I think it has put the lawyers in a really interesting position. We had some some stories about this last week. The judge sort of betraying his frustration uh, because the lawyers in the case keep on making the same bad arguments over and over. One of their sort of go-to arguments they made multiple times in the case was that the attorney general was not able to bring the case, despite the fact that the regulation basically being written for the state attorney general to bring these sorts of cases. Right. But not only did the judge previously rule on that question of standing, appellate courts had weighed in, and then they kept on bringing it up. Right. Like, right. This, this is this is how we get sanctions, my friends. Like, th- this is it. You want to know how? This is how. It might be time to turn over that defense to Chat GPT. <laughs> thinking it can't get too much worse. Well, the thing about Chat GPT is, since it just makes up cases, it may actually find some good case law that could help them. Yeah, yeah. It, it's also their only chance. I mean, <laughs> okay. So, what else is going on? There's a bit of a debate. Uh, that you covered on social media about the right way to law school. Mm, Yes, yes, yes. This comes up every few years. Mm. Uh, We have some kind of a social media blow up over whether or not cold calling is a worthwhile endeavor. For those not familiar with the law school universe, a time-honored way of running law school classes is to arbitrarily pick one person to be in charge for the day, basically, and you then grill and humiliate them with their inability to have mastered the readings. Well, that, that's also some professors let you know that you're you're on, on call. call. Other professors are just like, well, it could be anybody at any time. Be ready for the humiliation. Exactly. And that, and that's the issue. Like I always like I had classes that did both. And, you know, it you survive. But it's not uh I did feel that like ones where you knew you were on call were better classes. Mm. Uh, you didn't have the situation like Ellie Mistal, our former co-host here, uh, always would tell the story of being called on for a case that he was not prepared for. And then Professor Kagan told him that we'll just wait while you read it. Just like had a silent <laughs> class while he had to read the case. Yeah. Like, and that sort of thing. Well, like Kagan, Kagan? Yeah. 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 Oh. So th- that's a little much. But, but yeah. it is a it is a great story now that mm-hmm. she's super famous. Right. Mm-hmm. Horrifying to have to live through, I imagine. I'm sure. 
yeah, so a Chicago lecturer, also the person behind all of the uh, college admissions cases to make college admissions safe for white people again or whatever. Uh, he has, he saw that at Yale, there were uh, classes where people were saying, you know, like, I'm not on call today and so on. He decided to make a point about this on social media. And then everybody got all up in a storm about whether or not this was a productive way of doing law school. Like, is it really something we need to keep doing just because it's what mean professors did to us back in the day. Well, this is about being prepared. This is what the courts won't let you just blow off a question. It's like, yeah, but you won't, you don't show up at court. You, you know when you're in court. You, yeah, you, yeah, you know you're going to court. Like it's not, it, it's not like they like knock on your door. It's right. not, it's not like a morning raid. Knock, 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 knock. <laughs> what did your client say in the 3rd of July? Right, right, right. Yeah. It's like not. you, you absolutely are prepared if you ever going to be in that situation. Yeah, and I think that this, in my mind, bears a lot of similarity to another hobby horse of yours, Joe, which is the bar exam. But I think that a lot of the legal profession really enjoys the, I had to do it, therefore you have to do it. Ugh, yeah. It's like, I did it, it was awful, now it's your turn. Yeah. And it is kind of this weird handing of a baton. If you want to be successful in this profession, you need these stories. It's this, this way of bonding. You know, like how better to sort of ingratiate yourself at, in stupid cocktail parties, but to tell your story of being embarrassed in cold call or, yeah, yeah, or right. your bar exam horror story or whatever it is. I think that there's this weird kind of bonding, you know, it's kind of trauma bonding, but for the legal profession. Yeah. And they're put entirely too much focus on that. Yep. I might have been the anomaly here, but I never really felt like cold calling was that bad. Mm. Not that not that I haven't seen bad cold calls. It's just that whenever I've seen bad cold calls, I felt like the students handled them poorly. Like, for example, okay. if I was in the situation where before a Supreme Court judge Kagan says, I guess we'll just wait for you to read the page. I'll be like, oh, thanks. And I would just read. Like, <laughs> I mean, that is what ended up having to happen. Yeah. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, I feel like. I mean, I don't I don't think it's a good practice. There are better ways to teach that aren't as requiring of like, oh, I'm so high and mighty. That's generally not a good way to teach somebody something. It's like instructing through shame. Who needs that? But mm-hmm. if there's any students listening, you'll be fine. It's okay to say you don't know. It's okay to ask a professor to move on to the next person. And if they don't, they're the one that looks like a dick. Right. And the good news is most law school grading is blind. It's so blind. the fact that you the fact that you did this, they don't know that when they're grading your test. Right. It never comes back to bite you. The only way it comes back to bite you is if you make it a, if you stress under it. I remember there was one time, I think I was in contract. I got cold called. I said, I didn't do the reading today. Could you move on to the next person? The guy looked at me as if he was staring at my soul. I didn't care. He moved on to the next person. <laughs> then somebody else was like, oh my God, I can't believe you passed on that question. I'm like, yeah, we're in class. We're not expected to know everything. The, the expectation that we know everything is a false one. Well, and that's an excellent point too, because like it, law students are a generally a pretty sharp crowd of people. They've gotten to this point in their lives where they're in a law school because they've thrived at school for Mm -hmm. several years. And, you know, your high school classes are not cold calling on you in this sort of way. Like what it's clear that they've developed uh, an ability to thrive in an academic setting without it. So why is it once we get to law school, we're supposed to believe that this is the only way to teach material, you know? Yeah. Right. Uh, really annoying. Because now you get to be a lawyer. You get to put an Esquire after your name, and that means you've been tortured in a very specific way. And and like what? A, and not for nothing. Not everyone's a litigator. In fact, most people aren't. Like, yeah, is that true? My, most people aren't litigators. 
I would believe so. I guess I've never really crunched the numbers on that, but... I'm completely off topic, sorry. I just, you said that, and I was like, is that even true? Yeah, so if you're going to be a tax lawyer, like, what do you care about any of this? You're going to have plenty of time to do the research if you're a tax lawyer. Like, it it just, it's just so ridiculous that we we teach this way. Anyway, and uh, yeah, and then we'll just reset the clock for two or three years from now when somebody else complains about it, we have this whole thing happen again. Okay, so... We're talking road rage. We Is that are. the deal? I think Chris had a story about a judge who had a, an interesting take on the road. Yeah. So it was Oklahoma. Gotta love it. Judge Brian Lovell. Lovell? Not exactly sure how to say his name. But he got caught in what was an interesting scenario that had memory at play. So he got in a road rage incident, ended up shooting his gun off in public. Luckily, didn't hit anybody, shot to like a couple car doors. He, oh, he didn't hit anybody with a bullet. He then doubled, rear-ended somebody, same person, twice, almost pushed them into an intersection. And the only thing he admits to remembering is that he got road ragey. Everything else he's like, uh, it was a blur. I'm not really sure what happened. But the thing is, like, when you're rear-ending somebody and then, like, pressing the gas to then push them in the intersection, that's probably intentional. <laughs> like, you probably remember doing at least some of that. So the only really defense that he had was, like, there are people giving, like, character assessments saying how good of a person he was and, like, how, like, not stuck up he is. But uh-huh. if that's what you're doing, you need to stick up a little bit, you know. <laughs> be le- be more formal. It's judicial. Yeah. yeah be, being casual is, is a benefit, but, but not when it comes to shooting up the place. Right. Wow. Yeah, and there was another um, road rage story we talked about last week, too. This one was a big law attorney. It's weird though. It's a whole. It's a Florida story. So Florida man, it all the way up. It, it is very Florida in every sense of the word. It, and it's just kind of a wild situation where it was on a bridge in Tampa. Car stops, blocking traffic. Several lanes of traffic appears to slump over the the steering wheel. Some passerbys, helpful couple, kind of good Samaritans, stop their car to go see what's wrong, see if there's something wrong. Can't get into the car. Try to get into the car. Try to like break the window. All of a sudden, the driver wakes up, jams on the gas, slams into the Good Samaritan's car, backs up, goes in reverse, slams into our big law attorney, Patrick Scruggs' car. Oh, and then our big law attorney gets out of the car, according to the accounts that we have, and according to the police reports, and stabs him with a pocket knife the original driver that had slumped over. Uh, According to his lawyers, there's more details that we know that are out there, but it already feels like an incredibly wild set of circumstances, right? Like a pocket knife is a great word. (laughs) Very, very... And the stabbing victim is expected to make a full recovery. So, you know, you can you can make more jokes when you know that that part is true. Right, uh, right. That but, certainly helps. But, you know, a Florida bridge, a pocket knife, an attorney, this this joke, there are so many scenarios that this can go. I'm dying to know what these other factors in play are that this the attorney is alluding to. But it is very, very entertaining. But he's been charged with aggravated battery uh, with a deadly weapon, aggravated assault, and armed burglary. I'm not sure. I'm not yeah, sure about that. Burglar. He broke into the, he busted into the window to get to the driver okay. to stab him. So I'm assuming it's something related to that. But wow. It sounds like a walk into a bar punchline. <laughs> like a big law attorney with a pocket knife <laughs> in road rage walks into it. <laughs> 
I mean, we are we are joking about it, and maybe maybe we shouldn't be. Road rage is serious. Mm. Uh-huh. People, people yeah, shouldn't yeah, yeah. do that. Like it's terrible. It's awful. It's awful that like when something bad happens on the road, I'm more scared that I'm going to get shot than I am angry about whatever thing that some driver shouldn't have done on the road. Yeah, uh, yeah. and that is a terrible statement about like where we are as a society. But also, he's on a Tallahassee bridge with a pocket knife. Like this is just this is just funny. Yeah, that's there's there's some Southern Gothic, uh, <laughs> yes. sound to that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I I don't even know where to where to go with yeah. that. That's well, I will just, say that yeah. uh, Mr. Scruggs is no longer employed at uh, his firm Barnes and Thornburg after oh, okay. after this uh, result, uh, this uh, incident. Wow. That was our our road rage. Y'all have a you have a road rage. I do not have a road rage. No, I. That seems very certain. <laughs> I, I, I you don't have like a calm. You don't have like a honking sound on the soundboard, at least. Or? You know, I looked for one. I did, <laughs> did look, and, and we don't. Uh, but the closest we have honk, is honk. that's the closest no. we've got. That is distinctly clown. Yeah, mm, that right. is that is not a car. That is not. I, I'm aware. That's why I didn't pull it out earlier. <laughs> but you all decided to make it a big deal. So. Hey. So we're trying here. We're trying. Help us help you do better, Joe. If you're going to be the soundboard guy, be the soundboard guy, Great. or don't be the soundboard guy. I'd prefer the latter, but I think I'm losing that battle. Listen, mm-hmm. I could, mm-hmm. I could take over. You know, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, could, I probably won't. We don't need but... competing soundboards for sure. <laughs> yeah, listen. Not only would I be better, I'd also be better. No. <laughs> All right. So that's everything, basically, that we have on deck for this week. Uh, So thanks for everybody for listening. You should subscribe to the show, get new episodes when they come out. You should leave reviews, stars, write things. It helps everybody else find the show. You should be listening to the Jabot, Catherine's other podcast. I'm a guest usually on the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable. You can also hear a number of shows that we aren't on on the Legal Talk Network. You should be checking out Above the Law as always so you can read these and other stories before we talk about them here uh on the social medias i'm joseph patrice she's catherine one chris is rights for rent all on the twitter the blog is at atl blog i'm joe patrice of blue sky catherine's also catherine one there so that's that peace all right bye see you